What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, March 14th, 2022, and this week's episode, Volkov and Aspinall Battle Across the Pond. We'll be recapping a very busy weekend in mixed martial arts, UFC Vegas 50, Bellator 276, Eagle FC 46, and of course a lot of the highlights all in between. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news, Kayla Harrison officially re-signs with the PFL, Bellator returning to Hawaii, Paige Van Zandt to the AEW, and of course some fight announcements, Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler, and then Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori. We'll cap it off by talking about a very interesting battle across the pond, UFC London, Tom Espinall taking on Alexander Volkov, who officially is in the UK, so that fight is a good to go. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Yeah, what a packed, uh, what a packed show we have for everybody today. Um, I mean... There were lots of fights, but there's just also a ton of news, as you already laid out. Yeah, it, it, it was just like everyone had something to do this week. What the heck? Mm-hmm. But, you know, okay, I, I, I'll roll with it. Let's take it away. Um, let's start UFC Vegas 50, last night's event. The main event, Tiago Santos taking on up-and-comer Magomed Ankalaev. Obviously, Tiago was coming in off the win over Johnny Walker. And Goliath, this is kind of his proverbial stepping up moment. He'd had a, some good fights and he's been on a roll, but he hasn't taken on that proven guy who's been in the title fights, who's been in main events before. This was it. And for 25 minutes, I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, he reminded me a bit of Alexander Volkanovsky. And I know that might seem odd for the size, but... His shot selection, as he kind of walked forward, he kept Santos behind that black line inside the octagon. He kept him with that back to the fence for a lot of the fight. Santos did have a couple moments. Obviously, when he did load up for the grenade, it felt like Magomed, you know, was avoiding a lot of serious danger. Obviously, gets knocked down. I believe it was the second round, if I'm not mistaken. But for the most part, Ankalaev shot selection, timing, he just kept finding those moments when Santos was kind of going backward and he had an opportunity. He slipped and countered a, a couple of times really well. He read the counter left hook from Santos throughout the fight, I noticed. And going into that fifth round, you know, Tiago still moving well. In the fourth round, he looked exhausted. And I think that was really the key is that Santos was dangerous all night with big shots after the fourth round the threat of the combinations just was gone and Ankalaev you know very I don't want to say easily but pretty convincingly to a unanimous decision what did you think yeah it was um you know there was no controversy there the big takeaway for me was Magomed Ankalaev fought really smart and Thiago Santos you know he he still has that threat of the big hands, the hammer. But to me, he was fighting a little bit too cautiously, almost teetering on, on scared or just very concerned. Like there was too much, there was so much on the line for him that he didn't want to take a chance <clears throat> and get caught. And that led to the fight for me being, you know, not, uh, 
super thrilling, but still solid. And when you get a main event that goes five rounds, sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's a, it's a stinker. This one's like just right in the middle. You know, you had some good moments from both sides. And in the end, you walk away with, you know, to me, a clear victory, a clear victor for uh, a victory for Magomed. So, yeah, the big takeaway was just Tiago, not the guy we've, you know, that there's some fighters where you think you hear their name and you still think of like the glory days. And that's how you sort of always picture them in your head. And I think for Tiago, he still is that in many people's minds. Like it's Tiago Santos, the freaking Thor hammer tattooed on his chest. You know, we're coming on the other, coming to the other side of that, of that peak. And that's fine. It happens to everybody fighter or not. But, um, you know, when you have to sit through five rounds of it, it's like, okay, not the most exciting, but there's still glimpses of the, of the Maheta there and that's fine. And we just, you know, it is what it is at this point, but he just, he just wasn't willing to, to get in there and get, and get, get down and dirty, which, which makes sense. He's got a kid on the way. And I think that's probably why he was a little cautious, but it, it cost him the fight. So there you go. Yeah, uh, part of me wondered if he wasn't just trying to conserve that energy so that if the fight went late, he would have those explosive moments. He could still, you know, get that engine of his, you know, uh, up to the fifth gear that he needed it to, you know, steal the fight if it was close. But I don't know if it was the fact that Ankalaev was really doing a great job shutting him down, making him feel that pressure. Which, by the way, that's a debilitating thing. Even though he wasn't eating a ton of shots, Santos is feeling like, you know, Magomed's kind of in his face for 20 out of those 25 minutes of the fight going into the fifth, right? So, yeah, um, I will say, like, when I think about the nature of the fight with Tishira, uh, the fight with Rockich, obviously that one was, uh, we don't talk about it because uh, I don't know why. But that was approaching Derek Lewis, uh, Francis Ngannou levels at times. But the fact is, uh, I think that styles make fights. And not for nothing, I feel like the division has really developed in the last two years. I feel like we have a couple more, uh, just, I'll say diversity. And not in the way that, you know, a lot of people would consider it. But when you look at the guys like Jiri, Glover got back to the top. Anthony Smith, and now you have Jan Blahovic, Magomed, and other guys comprising the elite. I feel like at the time, you know, when you talk about John Jones running the show, there was not as many of these more multifaceted, high-level guys. It felt like there was two or three guys, and they kind of were keeping someone new from breaking through. We're in that time now, post-Jones, and really just in this moment at mixed martial arts that there's enough talent that we actually have all of these guys who could do different stuff and not that they've bumped out Tiago Santos but Tiago isn't getting easy guys out you're talking about Rokic should he still get the fight with Blahovic? he's probably right there for a title shot and Goliath he probably gets somebody for a title shot next so I don't think that this is necessarily like a sign of oh my gosh the times are over but I don't think it's unfair to say that Santos is now facing a much more difficult schedule than he did 
two years ago ish before his injury. So yeah. But yeah, to talk about Ankalaev, I mean, look, he gets the big win. I believe this is six or seven in a row for him. Um, who do we match him up with next? So we know in June it's Glover and Jiri. We don't know what's going on with Rockich. We don't know what's going on with Blahovich. I do suspect they're going to try to rebook it. That's why they didn't try to keep uh, Rockich on that card for later this month. So, um, yeah, let me toss it to you. What are your thoughts on what's next for Mr. Ankoliath? Well, you got, if you know, unless there's something I don't know, Anthony Smith, at least he's he's ranked there in top five still. Um, I know we talked about last week, now I can't remember who we were trying to trying to match up, but we were tossing around Dominic Reyes, Volkan Ozdemir, but I like Anthony Smith if he's game and, you know, otherwise un, uh, uncalled. On uh, what's the word? Otherwise, unbooked. I also say. Yeah. Oh, with Jamal Hill, right? Yeah. yeah. That's a, you know who who got it. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. It, it almost feels like I don't want to say like step back, but I feel like almost like this one for Ankalaev. Like he should get that guy, but I think Jamal Hill's kind of knocking on the door of that conversation too. I would. I I actually like the fight for Anthony Smith, for Ankalaev, in the sense that, okay, if Anthony's going to get back to that conversation, beats a guy like uh, Ankalaev, and I think stylistically it's an interesting one from that point of view. And then, uh, like, I said, like I said, Jamal Hill, and but I understand if, uh, you know, if you're Ankalaev, you probably feel like you want a bigger name, someone more established. If you're, you're trying to, you're trying to make a title fight, right? Yeah. And I think you feel like at this stage, beating a guy like Smith would be the one that gets you there as opposed to Hill, just on the name value. It's like, okay, I could see that definitely being a thing. So I like it. I, I think Smith works considering the layout of the division. If Blahovich and Rockage doesn't get rebooked, I say take either one of them, though. Because I think that one, for sure, just Rockage on the strength of the fact that he's beaten both Santos and Smith... And Blahovich, just because, you know, he's barely removed from being a champion himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. There's yeah, a couple think... of good names there. But he's definitely earned the proverbial step up. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Um, some great finishes on that undercard. Uh, Song Yudong takes out Marlon Moraes. By the way, I believe this is four finishes in a row. Um, not in favor of uh, the magic one. You know, Song, he's just one of those guys. I mean, I remember like 2020, he had that controversial like victory over Cheeto. Like it was close, but they ruled it for him. And then I think he had a setback against Kyler Phillips. But then Song is just tearing through the the division. Just what do you think of that one right now? Dude, that was an incredible performance. You know, and Marlon looked good. Physique, amazing as always. Um, you know, he, it didn't look like he was, had lost much pep in his step. He was still moving swiftly. And, uh, I think the chin is just, is just gone. And as you mentioned, you know, four in a row, not in his favor. And like, I don't think any of them were decision losses. I'd have to go double check, but oh, they were all stoppages. Yeah, man. Like that's just, you know, not the same careers at all, but I made me think of Chuck Liddell, like when it just came to a point where like you just touched the guy on his chin and it was over. And now this wasn't 
touch. This was a, a well-placed uppercut at a sneaky angle. But um, it's tough to, to see that happen to Marlon because, you know, his debut was, you know, disappointing for him, right? But then he just rocketed back to the top, that awesome battle with Cejudo, and a big slump. And so uh, I mentioned the chin because it's like, even if you look good in the gym, you're performing well, like, that's something you can't really fix. You know, you can't train the chin and... I don't know. Maybe there's something I don't know, but it just, you know, just kind of stinks for Marlon. But Song Yudong looking like a killer, man. Fast, aggressive. The sound of his punches landing on Marlon, it sounded like, um, you know, like a Foley artist doing effects for a movie. It was, it was very, uh, it was unreal. It was cool. You know, no offense to Marlon, but it was, it was cool to see him perform, man. He's, he's, he's a killer. Yeah, I mean, for Song, I mean, it's very, uh, can only reiterate, just, yeah, that finish, um, he's adding to the highlight reel. I don't really know who to match him up with next. I see TJ Dillashaw and Henry, Su- sorry, not Henry Cejudo, but Jose Aldo up there, Dominic Cruz on the rankings. I'm still holding out for Aldo versus Cruz. I think we're going to most likely see who actually reigns supreme in the Bantamweight title fight. I know that one people... Don't count the chickens before they hatch either way. But I think that after that, we'll get a clear picture where exactly is TJ in terms of the timetable. Yeah. Because that will probably dictate, okay, what do what does Jose Aldo look for? What does Cruz, what does Marab Dvalishvili, remember he's close friends, he's not interested in fighting Aljamain Sterling. That will really open up where Song could really go because I think someone will just be an outlier and then he could take his step up with whoever happens to be the odd man out to dance with. So that's where I see it for Song. Once again, great win. Uh, Drew Dober, victory from the Jaws of Defeat. It looks like Terrence McKinney is going to get another first round finish. Terrence, I believe that's two weeks. Yeah, two week notice. Um, and then Drew Dober comes back, get, catches him with the knee, and next thing you know, you know, I thought it was almost early, but then you just see Terrence on the floor, and it's like, dude, he has that look like he woke up from a roller coaster, like what just happened, and I was like, you know what, Drew Dober, it was not going to be the day someone takes his spot, you know, climbing up the ladder. That was just a great stoppage. What do you think? Yeah, it was. It was excellent performance. From from both guys, I think the if if I'm Terrence McKinney, going back and looking at it, just a little too wild, a little too excited, tasting that victory because, you know, he didn't. I don't think he gassed himself, but he exerted a lot of energy, and I think that contributed to, you know, not being able to fight back when he got, you know, hurt by Drew Dober. So, good on Drew Dober, man. Those kind of victories that you see, you know, as you said, from the depths. You must feel so good at the end of that. I mean, like you just you you can't you you can't beat that feeling. Like I feel like winning like that has got to be better than just a regular win because you're you're looking at defeat. You're looking right in the eyes of defeat, and then boom, you know, you still got it. You're still able to stay composed. So that was, that was a great fight too. A lot of really cool finishes um, in this card, you know, the main event was what it was, but otherwise the, the card, I know we're going to get into more, but just those two we've already covered, like those are thrilling. Oh yeah. I mean, Khalil Roundtree on Carl Roberson. I mean, just the, 
the body kick from the shadow realm the way you hear it and uh i know that khalil you know is very emotional talking about what he's been through i mean i i appreciate him using the platform uh chris mutinho who kind of you know he how do I put it? You know, it's that rare instance where even though you lose, people are excited to see you. And Guido Canetti just took that straight back from him, gets that standing knockout over him, just really keeps ripping. I don't know how many punch combination it was, but gets the finish also early on the prelims. That was another one that, you know, really surprised a lot of people, but good on him. He got the better of Chris Moutinho, who, let me remind you, Absorbed a record amount of strikes in his UFC debut, I believe, against Sean O'Malley. So Yikes. that's another solid win. Yeah, the, those two fights were were pretty awesome. I mean, I, I think about Khalil Ramsey though, as he was fighting, and I know we talked about the show, but I, his performance was so impressive that I almost forgot about that uh, last fight against. Uh, Bukakis. Oh, with the shots to the knee. <laughs> yeah, was it Bukakis? No, what's his name? Bukakis? I can't remember his name. Yeah. That was just so wicked, man. And I, I just, uh, he seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> he really does. But I can't forget that. Uh, but still, he's, from from where he started in the UFC to how he is now, like, he's a completely different fighter. He goes in there and it's just like, he's like a savage. It's very, very, very exciting to watch. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes from here. Hopefully it's just like a slow, steady climb. You don't want to overhype his um his train there but but it's going to be interesting the rest of this year with Khalil Roundtree. Yeah, I think that he now sets him up probably another interesting fight like the Roberson matchup and then we start talking about, you know, is he a guy who's in that conversation to make it to the top or is this a guy who's kind of been, you know, some some of them tend to float a little bit on the periphery until they start making that top 15, top 10 climb and then it's about who do you get at what time as people are going up and down on the ladder? So, But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Guido Canetti, just whenever we see him next, that'll be more fun too to look forward to. And that was in UFC. Running co- concurrently, we had Bellator. We're not going to talk too much about it just because we have a lot. But a fun fight, Adam Boric Sporich. I always forget it. But yeah, look, Adam <laughs> the Kid. Adam ta- Yep, taking on Mads Burnell. Um, like I said, fun fight. They kept it standing. But now, four-fight win streak, 18-1 and one overall. And Natalie, AJ McKee told me last week that he, you know, it's like, okay, like, Adam wants the smoke. Adam will probably get the smoke. So, I think that's just a good one to stand out. I mean, he's got the win over Aaron Pico already, who you would think would be the only other guy really figuring into that conversation at this moment. Um... Yeah, just a good win. Anything to say about that? Just one thing. It was a great win. I agree with you. Uh, Mads Burnell and the uh, the breakdance, you know, oh, moment yeah. there. <laughs> it reminded me of Cody against Dominic Cruz. Um, ballsy. Uh, he didn't really pay for it. You know, I don't know if Adam just let him off a little bit. Like, he could have really paid, paid a price for that, but he didn't. Uh, but it was just fun. It was a good, fun fight. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, this one on Friday night, uh, I think really, let's be honest, it really surprised a lot of people, myself included. Uh, Diego Sanchez taking on Kevin Lee. And let's just say it like it is. I think a lot of people thought, oh, you know, Kevin Lee is 29 years old. 
Diego Sanchez, I mean, the last time we saw him, we were talking about all these videos of him and his old coach, Joshua Fabia, and his cut from the UFC, and we're wondering, you know, what did he do to Habib to get booked with Kevin Lee at this stage of their careers? And you know what? Diego goes the distance. It's not a blowout. Um, Cracks Kevin Lee with some good uh, kicks early. Looks like Kevin isn't as, uh, you know, light on his feet for most of that fight. And uh, he has to go the full 15 minutes with a very tough Diego Sanchez. What were your thoughts on that one? At 165 pounds, no less. Yeah, surprising. Happy to see, you know, Diego looking well. Um, Two things. One, I had to screenshot this because it was hilarious. Uh, On the YouTube comments for the highlights that I watched of the fight, someone wrote, uh, Diego almost died from COVID a few months ago shook off a cult leader and comes out at 40 years old and puts on a show like this legendary. And like that, that sums it up pretty nicely there. Like it's amazing. I I also watched an interview with him after the fight and he's just like a totally different person. Calm. I don't, you know, normal in quotation marks as compared to, you know, the last couple of years, like, you know, being disentangled from that cult leader, (laughs) like this guy says, I mean, gosh, I'm glad whoever helped him do that did, you know, sort of seemed like maybe the UFC had some hand in that. I don't know, but like at the very least he can finish out his career and, you know, it's it's up to him to decide when that's done because he looked fine on Friday. He looked good Um, and he can do it like, you know, with his dignity intact, man. And like people will hopefully sort of forget this really, you know, cringy, blip of weirdness that he had and that was just a dark time in his career dark time man and like i think anyone who was a fan before that wanted him to be to get better and now you see him and it's like oh okay i'm happy for you diego like you're doing your thing go for it like it's just great to see man not for sure um i want to point out um obviously like who can forget the time with diego you know in the box but oh no i literally picture it every time i say his name like i picture the little box it just cannot be separated from my mind (laughs) he was talking to i believe it was helen Yee or someone uh to that effect in the fight week and he said that kevin lee moved to miami the beach and I have been training in Albuquerque, New Mexico on the mountain at the top of the mountain where I belong while he is below at the beach. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, this sounds a little uh, <clears throat> the tone and the delivery just sounded awfully familiar. You know what uh-oh, I mean? Uh Oh, no, 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 no. You got to watch the post fight interview. He's cool now. Yeah, he, he, he calmed it down. OK, <laughs> yeah, OK, I'll check it out for sure. But yeah, I was like. Why? Where have I heard this talk before, you know? <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to pull it back out of his pocket, you know? There it is. <laughs> I feel like it just sits somewhere in his house in a drawer, his box. No, it's his pocket. And he tells himself, I'm never going to go back in there again like Aladdin's genie in the land. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, good stuff. Uh, we got a lot of MMA news. Let's keep going. Um, Kayla Harrison, it's official. It's uh, she's done the interviews. The ink has dried. She is officially going back to the PFL. Ironically, the own the big player who almost made the steal was Bellator MMA. So that's how her dating show season finale played out. Um, 
Bellator, okay, I guess she hasn't revealed exactly, but she said there were a couple little details that kept the PFL deal the first time from finalizing. Essentially, Bellator really stepped up with a big offer. And then PFL, which I think maybe this took us by surprise, had the ability to match the offer. And so if you're unfamiliar with this concept in other sports, it's kind of what's essentially a restricted free agency, which means you could talk to anybody and they can make you an offer. But your original team has the ability to match that offer. And if they do, it is legally binding that you go back, you know, stick with your original team. Now, some contracts, that restricted period will end and some people end up, for example, just play in another year with their team. That way they can be unrestricted, which means no matter who offers what, you can go wherever you want to go. There's no matching and everything. Yeah. Kayla's contract was a restricted one. So even if she wanted, for example, Bellator, which he hasn't said out loud, which I think is a, you know, in good business. But the fact is, she always had to go back to PFL. If they matched, they matched. So, Natalie, I'll toss it to you. Final thoughts on the wild season of Kayla Harrison's MMA bachelorette shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, you know, even though she told you and been alluding to PFL being her, you know, her beau, uh, the the journey, the the speculating was all more exciting than the the resolution when it's like, oh, she did end up just going with staying with PFL. Okay. <laughs> it's like, ah, wah, wah. Um, not that it's not, you know, exciting for her to continue uh, to compete for PFL. That's going to be fun, and it is probably ultimately good for her. Uh, but you know, with all this hype, you wanted a little razzle dazzle at the end, something exciting. Uh, you know, fireworks from Bellator or UFC announcing their newest, you know, sign signing. So okay, she stays with PFL. Um, I wonder when you talk about this restricted free agency, I wonder how she feels about it. Like, you know, she knew her contract, I would assume, and knew this was a possibility. So do you know that, like, if the original, um, I guess we'll say owner, just for purposes of this conversation, like in this case PFL, if they match the offer like they did against Bellator, can she go back to Bellator and say, can you raise the offer? Or is it just like once they match, it's over. The doors are closed. I think that at a certain point, it was like a, this is our final offer. Mm. And I think that that's essentially what it comes down to. And, and mind you, maybe that's why, like, how many weeks ago, two or three, was when, um, what's it called, that it was reported that she might be reneging on PFL. I, I think that that's what essentially it came down to is that she probably stuck with them to say, hey, is this is this it? Bellator probably just said, Kayla, yes, it is. Mm. And PFL said, we'll match that. And I'm not saying this all happens as quickly as I just explained it, but I, I believe that's essentially what it comes down to. Well, you know, OK, like another exciting season of Kayla Harrison competing um, probably blitzing through everybody like she has in the past two seasons. Um, 
how do you feel? Because because you know you were you were right there. You were part invested. of the story. <laughs> yeah, you were invested. I know. I thought we were gonna get a lot more too. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, okay, d- d- she wants big fights, and I think that she knows that the road to that status in MMA goes through beating people like a cyborg running the show in the UFC regardless of who is necessarily at featherweight in the UFC right now I think that she knows that in our business that's kind of the two ways to get there with the brand and um from what I have heard I think that the UFC offer it just it just wasn't competitive in comparison it wasn't you know quote-unquote close or, you know by by a I don't know how wide of a margin, but what I heard is that it, it that was just it. It was not as high as the PFL or Bellator offers. Um, so I think that for when I look at it, I think that if you're Kayla, and now this is, um, I'll be honest, concerning if you're in her shoes, it's now out of your control. Because we know that Chris Cyborg, for example, if uh, we're understanding it, her Bellator deal is up this year. I don't know if she's got one fight or like she can fight out the rest of 2022 with Bellator. But the fact is, going into next year, Cyborg is also going to be on the market. Now, at this stage of Cyborg's career... You got to raise that question. How? What's her value? What's her dollar amount value? I mean, to a company like Bellator, because at the time you had arguably, you know, the second best fighter at featherweight. You most likely still had the second best fighter at featherweight, but when you talk about how many fights left at this level, how many years on the deal, how many? Also, let's be honest, with uh, Chris Cyborg, who we're going to talk about in a minute, she's kind of swept the table. And yeah, I know the Katzengano fight is out there, but that's that that is at this stage of the game not as anywhere as interesting to me as it was, let's say late last year. Mm-hmm. So to me now, if you're Kayla, you are hoping one Cyborg Windsor fights, two that PFL sees enough value in her to make an offer that most likely you'll need to be more than the Bellator deal now. And so now all of that is out of your control. You kind of made your case and you tried to go somewhere and you got the offer you wanted. PFL kept you. And now look, she still has Julia Budd. But I think the fact is she always kind of wanted the twofer. And if you had to get someone, Julia or Chris, you'd want to try to fight Chris. Now that you have this situation, you're going to want to try to get both. Because otherwise, yes, all the criticisms of, well, you know, who did they find? Who's out there? Let's be honest, even in the best of times, it was never a crowded field at 45. No. In today's landscape with UFC, Bellator, PFL, um, you know, I know there's other, uh, Invicta, LFA. It's just harder and harder to find those girls who stand out and get enough of them to build your legacy that if you don't have the brand power of a UFC, respectfully, this is just tough. And that's just the way, that's just where it's at. Now, once again, she's getting paid, and when I see a lot of zeros hit my bank account, um, I say that as if that happens a lot, but (laughs) let me have this. You know, I feel a lot better about life no matter where I'm at. It's not that bad. But I do know that she has to live 
she's the one who receives the comments every day. Why aren't you fighting? Blah, blah, blah. So that's where I stand with the PFL free agency for Kayla. Yeah, I mean, my last thought on this is going back to, you know, the Cyborg-Kayla connection. If Cyborg is at the end of her deal with Bellator and PFL can swoop in, wouldn't an aging Cyborg love to be able to fight at 155? You know, not have to cut an extra 10 pounds or be able to keep an extra 10 pounds? So I think this might shape out nicely for Kayla so that she can eventually, um, if she sticks with PFL, waiting for Cyborg, knock two off her list. Julia Budd, not, you know, not a, I'm not going to assume she's going to beat her, but let's just, in this world, let's pretend the scenario that she does, knocks off Julia Budd, knocks off Chris Cyborg. Well, you're pretty close to being the top you know, female at that weight class, or you're already the top at 155, but that kind of cements your, your legacy at 145 too, even though you didn't fight there because you're beating Cyborg and Julia Budd. So I think it could work out to be uh, Kayla Harrison staying at PFL. Should they get Cyborg, you know, I mean, that's a win-win there. So, Well, I also got to say, whatever money they had for Kayla Harrison, you got to think Chris Cyborg also now knows a little bit. It's like, hey, you just saved money. You didn't have to pay Kayla Harrison. PFL got it. So that big offer, <laughs> should, should that not now go to me? Excellent point. He's like, where's all, where's all that money you were going to give to Kayla? Exactly. You wanna, you wanna put it in my, uh, in my sack over here? <laughs> we'll find out. Um, real quick, I mean, UFC, we expected them to be a big player. I find it, you know, a little, I'll just say it, it's just one of those things with the timing. You hear about Israel Adesanya got a new deal right before fighting Whitaker. Uh, Jorge Masvidal just got a new deal before fighting Colby. And, it, you know, it's like, where is this deal for Kayla? The only thing I can think of, and uh, we've brought this up many times, this idea that in respectfully, for example, using those two guys as an example, you have people who have proven they can sell a UFC show, be a draw for the UFC. With Kayla, even though we know her abilities on the microphone, we know how great she's looked competitively. Everything we know about her as a competitor to keep growing and keep getting better in her career. You got this idea that she would have been able to. I think, though, the UFC felt like, well, we would ha our brand would have to carry you to the stardom. Whereas in Adesanya and Masvidal, they'd been in the company enough to know that these guys will be able to sell for us for sure. Because we've just been watching them do it. And so it, I couldn't help but think it's like, uh, like I understand on business, like that argument, but I still can't help but think that give Kayla the UFC treatment, she could have ran away with it. But ultimately, at least for now, we're just not going to know. So, but yeah, I, I will say that I was a little shocked to see these contracts getting, I don't want to say given out because they were, both Izzy and Jorge earned them, but I was like, you know, you got to be like, hey, where's my contract? So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, talking about Cyborg to PFL, we just discussed it. Cyborg, not for nothing. One of the topics of our next one, uh, April twenty second and twenty third, Bellator returns to the lovely and sunny state of Hawaii. <laughs> and it's going to be back-to-back -back nights. So it's going to be another, looks like a Friday, Saturday headliner. 
There have been no cards announced for 278, which I believe is the Friday 22nd card. The 23rd card, Bellator 279, is getting the big showcase. You have Chris Cyborg taking on Arlene Blanco for the second time. You have Sergio Pettis in the Grand Prix taking on Rofion Stotts. Kyoji Horiguchi taking on Patchy Mix. And the return of former champ and local hero, Elima McFarlane, taking on Justine Kish. Um, so this, look, Kat Zingano was supposed to fight on the card this past Saturday. Kat suffered an injury. She was going to take on former Invicta champ, Pam Bam Sorensen. Sorensen's last loss was to Blanco, so I think it's safe to say that's how we ended up with Arlene versus Cyborg 2. Remember, Sinead Kavanaugh also recently hurt her knee. Um, okay, first off, I love any time they go to Hawaii. I think they do a good job with the pageantry of it. I always feel like if you're going to make it special when you travel abroad, let's go all out. I want the the canvas to have like a beach motif. <laughs> I want my tiki torch. I, I want all those cheesy things. What can I say? Why not? If we're going to be different, if you're going to hype it up because you're going here, let's make a difference. Same with Fight Island. That's my one thing about Fight Island. They had a lot of the Fight Island logo. There was not enough Fight Island looking stuff. The canvas looked the same. Everyone was in the same clothes. It's like, no, I want it different. I'll say it. Anyway, that being said, uh, Chris Cyborg versus Blanco 2. What are your thoughts on that? It's fine, you know, like it is when we talked about this with, you know, the, the roster and we always talk about this, this, the issue with this weight class, 145, 155, you just have to make the most of what you have. And, you know, you try your best to do uh, a, a fresh matchup for Cyborg. It doesn't work. You try again. It doesn't work. Okay. Well, who's left? Okay. This person in this instance, Arlene Blanco is willing Cyborg's always game. She'll fight anyone, any place, anytime, anywhere, right? You know that. So it's fine because you know Cyborg's going to go out there and throw her bombs and try to finish it, even though that's not what her coaches want her to do. And she's almost always successful with that, except for the one time against Nunes. So, like, and in Hawaii, like, she's going to get a huge pop. She's going to, it's going to be a great moment just to have her there fighting for Bellator in Hawaii. So I'm not mad at this. It is what it is, man. You just got to, you know, Make some uh, some lemonade out of your lemons, and that's it. Yeah, I think that when I look at everything with uh, the division, I, I like I appreciate that Cyborg. It looks like she tried to make the fight. I don't know what happened, and I don't know if Cat and company will tell us. But I'll be honest. Uh, to me, this almost feels like the writing on the wall. It's it feels like through no fault of her own, she's now lapping the field. Mm-hmm. You know, like. We were talking to Scott Coker went out there and said bluntly, oh, yeah, Sinead Kavanaugh. And I'm like, we, we literally just saw that, boss. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Um, I, I'll say this also. My last thing, because of the whole cat Zingano, that it, it feels like that's the fight everyone wanted. And we just we're getting something there's no desire for at this point. I know it's kind of next woman up, but. You know how when Cyborg defeated Sinead and there's like, oh, well, you know, if you want to be the, I forget. she I think she metaphored it like if you want to be the top dog, you need to get the cat. And they showed like a, you know, Katzengano's portrait looking all tough, like the cat. And I'm like, Cyborg, 
if she's the cat, I can just say you're not the mouse. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the entire appeal of that, I'm like, I can't say that after everything I've seen that it was already a big... It, really, I think it was the name value that sold that fight. But as we've now gone through this, I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's losing steam by the month, by the week. So really, I don't know where they go with Chris. Like I said, if they offer her big money and PFL is like, we're not about to do this again for this Chris Cyborg, you know, most likely. If she signs one more contract, I'll say this. Even if she keeps winning, I don't know if Cyborg keeps fighting. For the simple fact of what else does she have left to prove. And secondly, you know, she might want to try the whole Jake Paul boxing thing. Remember, she was in the Jake Paul video. I'm sure, I know that her and Amanda Serrano, who are partnered with Jake Paul, are cool. Amanda and Chris did the movie, the Fight Valley, something like that years ago. Yeah. I feel like there's other opportunities that really you don't need to stay in MMA past one more contract. And even then, you can make the argument that after this one, Natalie, she doesn't have any more to prove. Anyway, but um, that's where I have left on the Cyborg Blanco Blanco is the second best featherweight right now in Bellator. I will say that. Um, uh, in terms of the other fights, uh, Sergio and Kyoji, uh, both of them are in good fights. Both Stotts and Mix are really tough. So as an undercard, that's great. Uh, Elima's going to Elima in Hawaii. You we know that uh, we've seen what she brings and yeah, obviously being at home. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a good show, but... Uh, the only question, what do they do for the second night? Because I found it very suspicious. You kind of load up one night and it's like zero news on the first night. It's like, are you guys going to air this thing on YouTube or what? <laughs> so, I mean, it's on Showtime, right? It's supposed to be, but yeah, I digress. Well, like in the past when they've done Hawaii, they've had the, uh, there's like the, the Friday fight is uh, dedicated to the military, to the troops, right? And like everyone in attendance is either part of the military or family of. Um, so, you know, they, they usually have, if I remember correctly, like one exciting main event and then it's just, you know, maybe more local guys. And then the next night is this big booming fight card that we have here before us. But even um, then it was like one's on like Paramount TV. The next one's behind the paywall on zone or something. Yeah. This yeah. time it's like they're only on Showtime. So what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But look, that, I, I trust them. They that's my point. On- Good shows, in, yeah, yeah. Good shows in, in Hawaii, and uh, I will say this to your point about spectacle, um, or you know, sort of like uh, have a theme when you're on an island, I guess. Yeah. They do all. All the commentators do wear Hawaiian shirts when they're. Home. Yes, they do. Uh, it looks like a. It's like casual Friday, and I yeah, love it. Yeah. That, that, see, that's what I mean. I think anyway. it's better than the UFC. Exactly. So. Let's just have a little bit of fun. What's yeah. What's wrong? You know, if no one cares, why not? Um, Paige Van Zandt joins AEW. Um, it is, uh, she does, at least as of this writing, to my knowledge, she had one fight left on her bare knuckle fighting championship deal. But essentially last Wednesday, uh, she signed a deal. They announced it. She does this whole, obviously this isn't the real contract, but she did kick some butt on AEW. And then she signed her contract on the body of her fallen foe. (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) 
obviously AEW, they've been doing the thing with American Top Team and Dan Lambert for the last year or so, so good stuff. Um, Feldman, the Bare Knuckle FC president, he did say that there was one more fight left on her deal, but he did also say, I, I also expected probably her last one with us. I don't know what she's looking to do next. I did read a headline that Paige was also, you know, the door isn't closed on MMA, but look, I mean, AEW, it's the most mainstream wrestling company in the States outside of obviously WWE. It's on cable television. This is not a, um, this is not a small move by any means. What are your thoughts on it? It's a huge move, brilliant decision. You know, her fighting career was not going well at all and she still had this big she still has this big brand she's doing her things on instagram that attract a lot of attention and she's an athlete even though she's not a very good fighter and so you know she can learn choreography like she's a dancer she did dancing with the stars like this is the perfect place for her she has a name she has looks athleticism she can uh, learn choreography very well, which will be perfect for for wrestling, uh, professional wrestling. Like hands down, the best move she could have made. Um, you know, there's already lots of storylines that are built in there. I'm sure they're gonna call out her, you know, her misses at the end of her combat sports career. But that's just part of it. You gotta roll with it. Like brilliant move. She can she can ride this out uh, for a long time. You know, many many years and and like just. I'll tell you what, before this went down, the last time we talked about Paige Van Zandt, I was just like, man, where'd she go from here? Like, she's just not very good, not very successful. Bare Knuckle Fighting, I thought that was going to be her jam. She just never got the groove, got into the groove. This is perfect. I mean, hats off to whoever finagled this, uh, negotiated this. Maybe it was just her. I don't know, man, but this is exactly where she should be. And it's a win-win all around. Yeah, I think to me, and by the way, I just caught up on it. She said that, yeah, she does still plan to compete in um, combat sports. Said, I'm still with Bare Knuckle. And she actually said, I, I don't plan to leave Bare Knuckle anytime soon. Hmm. And then there's also, I don't. I also plan to return to MMA one day. What I like about this for Paige, and I think is probably her biggest success, is the fact that she, um, like you said, it, it hasn't been going her way in sanctioned fights for a minute, right? This is a perfect move that leverages her star power, her ability to build her brand, her business savvy. And like you said, being an athlete, it's like, it's almost like Ronda Rousey. Like, well, could she compete with this and that in a WWE, AEW pro wrestling setting? It doesn't matter. matter, You just got to look good and fight, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, what's the difference? I think the biggest example I was told is like, oh, the hits are real. You just know when they're coming in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then obviously someone at some point tells you, hey, it's got to be this person or that person who gets their hand raised. OK, um, it's about putting on a show. And certainly Paige knows how to do that. And Paige is physically in the condition and at the age she could do that. And I think that when you talk about, well, what's next for Paige? What about this for Paige? I think what's so brilliant about this move, outside the fact that obviously she'll get more attention and more eyeballs and, you know, 
just the fame that goes with being a pro wrestler. If she wants to fight, there's no pressure. It doesn't matter if she signs with this or that, one fight deal, two fight, um, if it goes well, if it doesn't go well, because she's still going to keep getting paid regardless. It's like she'll just go back to pro wrestling. Jake Hager. He's yeah. still undefeated in MMA. Does it matter? No. because Why? Because he's freaking pro wrestling. Same concept. And I think that, like, if Jake Hager lost, people would not want to watch him less in AEW the next week. No. Not at all. Same thing for Paige. And I think that that's the brilliance of the move. So, look, I mean, I remember when I wrote about her, she was... If Ronda Rousey broke th- open the doors... Paige Van Zant is a great example of how you can leverage the combat sports market and turn it into a mainstream thing. Everything from, you know, Dancing with the Stars, Chopped, um, just her business decisions. I think she was one of the first ones to really lead the whole fan site for a fighter kind of deal and show the money that these girls, if they want to take that path, they can make a profit on it. She's done all of that in a way that I think is just very impressive. And I think that now to make this move, I mean, it's just a win-win from the business side. And like I said, if she wants to continue fighting, which it sounds like she does, it really, like, no pressure. You win, you lose, no pressure. You still got this now very successful thing that's going to be there. So uh, that's really cool. And you know what? Congratulations, Paige. I might actually watch pro wrestling. I know now I have to. Well, Ronda's back, so I have to go. I have to get back into that too. But yeah, now I have two reasons to check it out. Mm, okay. There you go. Right. Um, quick hits on uh, our announcements, uh, fight announcements. Um, Tony Ferguson, Michael Chandler. Looks like it's all official for May seventh, UFC two seventy four. Uh, what are your thoughts, Tony versus Iron Mike? Uh, it's going to be a, an exciting fight. It's a better move for, for Michael Chandler to get back in the win column. I really am not convinced that Tony Ferguson can 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 do the same against against anyone right now. Like it's just not looking good from my from my perspective here. Um, sitting on my chair, not exercising or ever being in a fight. However, <laughs> I've watched a lot of fights, and um, Tony Ferguson hasn't been looking great. Everybody knows this, so we want him to do well. Michael Chandler, I think it's more important for him to get the win. You know, we're talking about taking a low-ball offer from UFC uh, when you're negotiating a new contract. That's what Michael Chandler did, right? He's admitted he, he's getting less money. He took a pay cut to go to UFC. It looked really good for him at the start. Then he lost two in a row. They were good fights, though. Um, so more on the line here for Michael Chandler. He's he's younger. He has more promise. I don't know, actually, if, he's, if he is younger. He has more promise, though, and so this is a big one for him. He's got to get the win. Yeah, I think it's a great style matchup for Chandler. It's obviously exciting in general. Every time we have Tony, I think they're both going to bring it, but stylistically, you know, at this stage of the game, you got to think it's on Tony to make, to recapture some of that old magic and make it happen against Mike. But, um, yeah, it's a great fight. Great undercard to already some, uh, you know, the lightweight championship is going to be on the line later. Uh, Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori, June 11th. It looks like they're trying to make that happen. UFC 275. Uh, to be honest, I, I just really like it. I think that for Rob, he's doing a good job. I, I've said this before. He's kind of gotten the guys that Israel Adesanya wanted. 
in this case, you know, he's kind of just continuing that. If he gets this win, he just continues to hold serve, so to speak, as the second best middleweight in the UFC and arguably the world. And if you're Marvin Vittori, uh, if you want to convince people, you actually deserve a third shot at that uh, at Adesanya, not at the belt. He's only had one, but this is the kind of opponent you need to beat. So win-win. Yeah, exactly. It's a uh, it's a good good matchup. Like, let's get these guys back in the cage, and you know, Whitaker wants to just get back to it. He likes to fight. He's a fighter. Let's go. And they'll bring the damage too. Oh yeah, Heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, final one. Uh, Rob Font and Chito Vera. L- uh, looks like they're going to be the main event for the April thirtieth fight night. Um, Rob obviously coming off the loss to Jose Aldo. Chito looking to build on that big win over Frankie Edgar late last year. Uh, to be honest, I think it's just a good style matchup. You got two guys who are really looking to break through. Probably a little more onus on Chito because of, you know, the fashion of his last few victories. Um, Rob Font, obviously, you know, he's kind of had a renaissance and he's bringing it to and fighting some great MMA. So it's just a good fight. It is. Um, I love Chito Vera. I love seeing him fight. Rob Font is also very exciting. This is one of those that uh, you can't, you, you, you can only be excited for. Yep. And that brings us to the creme de la creme, the trip across the pond to the lovely United Kingdom. For the heavyweight fight, it is official. Alexander Volkov made it. The, as of right now, the fight is on against their local boy, Tom Aspinall. Um, Natalie, so I think going into this, I believe Volkov, I know he's coming off a win. I believe Marcin Daibura in Abu Dhabi. Obviously, Volkov goes in as the established veteran. You know, he's been in there with uh, Curtis Blades, Alistair Overeem. Uh, he pushed Cyril Gaon five rounds. Um, he's not, he's certainly fighting great MMA still. We know he's multifaceted. We know he is a handful for absolutely anybody in that top five. That being said, it is very clear that this is the Tom Aspinall show. It's very clear that they are looking to kind of... Maybe they're getting Volkov at a time when... I don't want to say he is, but from the outside looking in, could he be slowing down a little bit? You know, he's had some ups and downs recently. It's not like he's had his long win streak lately. And then for Tom Aspinall, he's had a couple cancellations. He did fight, I believe, last September against um oh my gosh i'm missing it already but the fact is uh, sergey spivak there it is but he's coming off a win he's looking to essentially represent at home everything that they are clearly going all chips in they've had some great promos from bt sport the broadcast partner um they're already loading it up i know michael bisping caroline pierce and anyone remotely uk related is going to be on the broadcast team and doing stuff this week. So it is very clear that it is a setup for Tom Aspinall, but he's got to get the job done. And that's where I'll toss it to you. What are your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, it is. It's like, uh, you know, we've seen Darren Till in London. Didn't go so well for him. But but Tom Aspinall's uh, he's just, he's a different a different uh, fighter altogether, especially because there's, there's uh, no weight cut. I think that did affect Darren Till a lot. So... I was going back and just watching some older fights um, for both guys. Looking at Volkov fighting Alistair Overeem. 
that was wicked, man. He demolished him. Now, okay, Overeem, not exactly at the height of his career at the time, but but it it was still pretty impressive. Volkov has a wicked one too. For as tall as he is, he keeps his arms pretty low. Well, like mid mid height, and he can just fire those punches off. So that's something I think Aspinall really has to look out for. You don't want to stand right in front of Volkov. Uh, but Aspinall is fiery, man. He's just got grit. He's got power. I watched his fight against uh, Arlovsky. And, you know, they were going back and forth, Aspinall more successful. But then he just decided that he wanted to take down um, Arlovsky. And he bulldozed him. I mean, it was like three quarters. He pushed him across the octagon, grunting. Someone commented on, on you know, the, the octagon wall being in jeopardy there, falling over. And then he just choked him out. It was crazy. This guy is is something to really keep an eye on, uh, someone to really keep an eye on. Um, and with this kind of setup in your home country, it's not quite, you know, USA versus Russia, but like we can't also, like, like there's, there's a little something, some politics is going to be in the air too. And so I think there's extra incentive for Aspinall to win in his home country against the guy from the other country that's, you know, in a bit in, of in, a hot water. The, yeah, in hot water, in the news a lot right now. So that's, I think, the extra extra little something we're going to get in the performance from Aspinall. Uh, for me, I think he's going to just do his best to stay out of trouble early. But once he finds an opening, a, a lull in the action, he's going to go for it, um, either with punches or a takedown. I think, though, because Volkov's so tall. Oh, man, I don't know, because sometimes when these guys are so tall, it's easier to take him down. You know what? I think he's going to do what he did to Arlovsky. I think he's going to get Volkov down, and he's going to submit him. I'm going to say a rear naked choke round two, Tom Aspinall. Ooh, all yeah. right. We're, we're going there. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the thing about it is that you got to pick your spots to get in and out with Volkov. And I think that that's... If anything, I think that's the biggest test. I, I don't think that he has anything to prove about his physicality or anything like that. It's really about the X's and O's. Um, for Volkov, how much has he improved that takedown defense? You know, he look, Curtis Blades is a different kettle of fish, but the fact is you want to... You need to close up that disadvantage and, you know, that quote-unquote weakness in your game, right? Espinal has to know that's out there. I think Espinal knows that if he can, you know, set it up, he could certainly, you know, slip and rip with some heavy kicks, you know, a la Diego Sanchez, Kevin Lee, really start to hamper Volkov's movement and make him a more stationary target for him to get at, get in there and get after. Um, I think for Volkov, you know, once again, it's all about footwork, lateral movement. You do that effectively enough, you most likely can... Uh, stay ahead on the scorecards i do think it's gonna be a little bit of just a dirty fight aspinall just kind of get in there and do that damage a little bit i don't know about getting that finish on the on the ground i almost feel like if he's gonna do it he's just gonna really it's gonna be a slow breakdown like eventually he's gonna start hurting him and he's gonna start landing with the combination and Maybe he'll get him on the mat for the TKO, but I don't know. Uh, I feel like Volkov, 
If Blades couldn't get the submission on Volkov for as much time as they were on the mat, I don't know if Tom Aspinall's going to get it. You know what I mean? That's a good point. I think another, uh, which I take to say, I, I think I see this as a fourth round TKO for Volkov. It's not Volkov, uh, Aspinall. Okay. I think slow breakdown. I think, uh, you know, you're going to cut down the Sequoia, or, you know, whichever it is at Yosemite, the Sycamore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, eventually it's going to happen for Aspinall. I fully expect the crowd to be very uh, patriotic. Um, my experiences with Volkov, you know, is completely, you know, decent guy, nice guy, and you know, it, it uh, it is what it is. He's from Russia, and I certainly expect, unfortunately, there will be a um, <clears throat> possibly a lack of decorum. <laughs> is that a nice enough way to say it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not his fault, but I just, I worry that that might just be what happens. He's going to get some jeers that were, you know, were they fighting about three months ago, even in the same situation, when he wouldn't necessarily get. Yeah. So, look, uh, it is what it is. Once again, it, I expect nothing less than a great night in London. I think it's the crowd's going to be on. You got Arnold Allen looking for, I believe, win number nine in a row, taking on Dan Hooker, returning to featherweight. Patty Pimblett, obviously, people are excited to see him back. So it's a solid enough undercard for a fight night. I think it's just going to be good television. I believe it's also, um, quote unquote, uh, American time. Like it's going to happen mid afternoon for us here. So it's like in the middle of the morning over there. Okay. Yeah, so cool stuff for us. But yeah, Natalie, it's going to be another insane week to look forward to. And then next week, it's actually very interesting. UFC takes a backseat to the extravaganza that is 1X from one championship. So you have the Atomweight champ Angela Lee coming back, taking on the Grand Prix champ Stamp Fairtex. You have Demetrius Johnson is in the special rules fight with Rod Tang. That's going to be an insane one. The guy who beat Demetrius Johnson, Adriano Moraes, is defending his title against uh, Yuya Wakamatsu, who welcomed DJ to one championship years ago. And then, oh, not for nothing, you're going to have uh, in UFC, they are making their first in a long time United States travel trip for a fight night, Columbus, Ohio. Curtis Blades against Chris Dawkins. What are your thoughts as we go into next week? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's good to 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 have uh, Mighty Mouse um, back and that special rules thing. I mean, I know it was announced a while ago, so it's um, it left my mind a little bit. So I'm glad that that we finally have um, have it upon us. And uh, Chris Dawkins, man, I, I like him. I, I just like to see what, what happens with him against Curtis Blades. Oh, for sure. I think it's going to be an interesting style matchup. Uh, if you could get past Curtis Blades, you're in a special conversation at heavyweight, right? Yeah. Just because of all the problems Curtis brings. Um, uh, you know, I'm actually kind of looking forward to 1X. Uh, not just outside of the little stuff like the special rules. I mean, uh, Angela Lee, I think that you you got to understand these are two homegrown girls. Yeah. And Angela Lee, you know, she kind of like her it's her brother who is former lightweight champion her 17 year old sister's there the brother told me they have a cousin who they expect to fight for one championship soon 
you know, it's a whole family of them just over there whooping butt. So I know that she has something to represent. A lot of people I've talked to just, and mind you, you know, she's just, she kicks butt and she has that sweet personality. You know, people like Stamp Fairtex, so it kind of feels like who's going to be the girl at one, you know, like even though it's it's not supposed to be that kind of competition, but I'll say it, this one, it just is. Yeah. You know, so they have a bit of that going. Adriana Marais, you know, one of the top talents outside the UFC and fighting at what we would consider Bantamweight here in the United States. So definitely just looking forward to that. And then the whole night is just like good fights, like Rainier de Ritter. Like, uh, who, you know, double champ over there. He's doing, like, a grappling match over there that night. And it's it's a weird thing. It's, like, three different, um, it's, like, three different fight cards. Like, literally, it's split up. And, like, every card has a, quote, main event. And then the part two is on, like, a different thing. And then, finally, the big one is on, like, one championship, quote, unquote, pay-per-view. Like, uh, I don't know if it'll stream on Bleacher Report or something like that. But the fact is, there's a... It's a lot. (laughs) It's the... uh, I I forget what it was. It's the 10-year anniversary show, I think it is. Um, I was about to say 100th show, but that's not it. Yeah, it's the anniversary show. You know what? I like it. Is that so wrong? No. There we go. (laughs) That's all I want to know. Anyway, guys, we will be back next week to talk about all of the action, preview some of the marquee action coming up. As always, take care. Have a good one. Enjoy the fights.